it's good to have you all here this morning. We, this is this is a real treat uh, to be able to share this morning with you. And uh, I know in a moment, Pastor Chad's going to come up and introduce Lisa. But I, I just I have to mention that uh, I think it's fair to say that this church wouldn't be here if, without Lisa Murray. I know we all we all recognize uh, you know, uh, Rod Murray as the one that founded it, but he often talked about how much uh, she. She was the uh, stabilizer for him, and and I think it's I, I think it's not overstating it at all to say that, uh, that she is a key to this church being here. Now let's go ahead and pray over our offering. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. I ask you, Lord, to bless this offering. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness that you have shown us through everything, and that we are here this morning to celebrate you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I got a request for a, a bigger uh, place to put the notes. There are more substantial notes that are going to be on the platform than this thing can hold. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Uh, Jason, I appreciate that. And uh, just a word, too, before I introduce Lisa. Um, we will be passing an offering plate around next week. It's been over a year. And uh, we were going to do it today, but we didn't coordinate that. But the box will remain back there for offerings. The next week, we'll actually go back to passing one around. Who would have ever thought that the Lord could sustain a church and we've never passed an offering plate around for a whole year or more, actually? Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord. Yeah, thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, and I appreciate uh, what Jason said. And um, and I uh, want to just remind everybody... Um, how critical, and we were talking about it on Friday, Lisa, how critical and important Lisa's voice is to this church. And how many know that's true? And um, we need to hear her voice, and we'll hear her voice, I pray, more often and uh, regularly. And uh, so if you would, just give her a, a warm welcome this morning. Praise the Lord. I don't know. Is this on? Can you hear me? <laughs> this is like totally new to me. Is it in the right place? Okay. And honestly, the only reason why we need this big thing is because, and Sharon will attest to this because she's my boss at work. I have a very hard time adjusting to um, and, and utilizing. Um, the technology that is available to us. And so <laughs> I could have just a little tablet up here with everything on it, but no, no, I come with all this. <laughs> I do need a flatter. Yeah. And I do want to say that you really shouldn't give me. <laughs> That's good. Um, you really shouldn't give me a whole lot of credit for this search because, as my family will attest, I fought Rod every step of the way because I did not want to stay in Indiana or we're in Henderson. But um, I, once we left Cornerstone in Evansville, I was ready to pack it up and go to Pennsylvania. 
And he, we thought we were, and then he kept saying, no, we're, I think we're going to stay here. Oh, I was so mad. I was mad. So give credit to God because it, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're here. And, um, yeah, I just, I thank God for this church, for this family. Okay. So I'm going to start. Um, and that, there you have it up. The title is What in the World Am I Doing? And I have, I just want to share with you, I've been on a journey lately. The Lord has brought me on a journey. And I only think it's fair just to share it with you all so that maybe you can join me. And so I've asked this question to myself lately. I've, I'm 58 and still ask this question. Um, but the reason that it's really become uh, a major question in my life is because I have been reading about the persecuted church. I've read books. There's these two. I have more at home. Um, I've been reading testimonies from the persecuted church. And um, I started off originally years and years ago by reading uh, the publication, The Voice of the Martyrs. Does, do any of you get that? Because if you don't, if you know, it is, it's essential. You need to get it. It's free. You just get online and fill out the thing, and they will send you a free publication every month. And so what I would do is I, and this is years ago, I would, if I was dissatisfied with my life because it wasn't going how I wanted it to go, then I would uh, pick up Voice of the Martyrs because somebody in there has it worse off than me. So that is how this all started because, you know, and, and that's not really a good reason to do, to do that. <laughs> but I'm just being honest with you because then I could say, well, you know, I don't like my house, but at least I don't have... 10 family members living in two rooms with me. So, you know, it started off like that. And, um, and that's just, I'm just being honest. But, um, I started, I started to read it more often and started reading books. I read years ago, I read the book, um, The Heavenly Man. Has anybody read that? All right, guys, you got to get. You got it. <laughs> um, and that is about a uh, uh, brother, uh, Yun, in China. And now today I'm also going to be talking about um, the uh, Muslim, the Islamic uh, states. But um, China, is, of course, we know is under persecution too. And so I started to, I was reading it and I'm like, how can these people find happiness, not happiness, because not happiness, find joy in their miserable situations. Like, they have nothing. They're in jail, they're beaten, they're, and we're here in America just living it up compared to them, and and we struggle to be joyful. I think I'm getting ahead of myself. So, anyway, I realized that I was lacking, um, And I realized, like, to persevere. Because I thought, they're going through that. They're persevering. What if that comes to America? How many of us will actually endure? How many of us could stand through what they stand through? 
And so it really challenged me to look at the persecuted church more carefully and to see what they are doing and compare it to what we are doing or not doing. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. Um, and I asked God, I said, you know, always when you come up to speak before people, you want to hear what God is saying to the church. You want to, to be his voice. And I asked God, God, what do you have to say to the church? And he said, get ready. And there are a few different ways that I feel that he wants us to get ready. First is get ready for what he's going to do in this body um, and be open, have your heart open to what he's going to do through this body. And it starts individually with us as we, and then we come together and then it's just, it can explode from there. But get ready for that. Get ready for changes that are coming uh, because they're good changes. And then I feel like he's saying, get ready because the world is disappearing as we have known it. <laughs> Our life is, um, no, we're not facing the persecution that um, they are facing in the Middle East and in China and India. But uh, we can see the climate changing slowly but surely in America. And uh, I don't know what that's going to entail, but Jesus says, be ready. And, the, and then, of course, be ready for his coming. Uh, he's coming again, and we need to be ready. So, all right, first sign of nervousness is a dry mouth. <laughs> I'm dry. My mouth is really dry. Okay, first, um, one second. I have nothing to be nervous about because you guys are my family. All right. First, the persecuted church is desperate. For God, for Jesus, they're desperate. And Psalm sixty-three, one, it says, "You are, you God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water." Let me tell you, there is no water in the Middle East. <laughs> spiritual water. It is, I mean, it's there, but you have to find it. You have to, I mean, it's, it's a dry and parched land. And so these people, and even in China and all the persecuted nations, um, they're thirsty and they are desperate. Um, Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So the persecutor, like I said, they are thirsty and they are, they are seeking. And then the unpersecuted church, that's us. The truth is that um, it's everywhere around us. I mean, we, we don't have to go far to hear about Jesus. We, are not, we aren't desperate um, because we don't see our lack. Because, like I said, it's just, you know, it's everywhere. Um, the, uh, I'm just going to read what I wrote. It says, once the lies, as far as the persecuted church goes, once the lies of false religions are exposed, they are desperate for truth. They want to know Jesus, and they are desperate for him. And for us, 
Yes, the lies are out there too, but we are not forced to believe them, and we don't have to choose between our life and the truth. It's very easy for us to become complacent. And Amos 6.1 says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. And Connie told me that is Mount Samaria, right there. You notable men of foremost of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. They uh, had gotten complacent. I'm going to read from my commentary here. It says, um, Amos leveled his attack at those living in complacency and luxury in both Israel and Judah. Great wealth and comfortable lifestyles may make people think that they are secure, but God is not pleased if we isolate ourselves from others' needs. God wants us to care for others as he cares for us, and his kingdom has no place for selfishness or indifference. We must learn to put the needs of others before our wants, and using our wealth to help others is one way to guard against pride and complacency. Um, a lot of times we confuse complacency, like we'll say, um, don't be content where you're at, but that's really not correct. Because... Um, Contentment is to feel peace with the current state you're in, regardless of circumstances. So you can be content. If you, you know, whatever you're going through, um, you can be content. Whereas complacency is to grow numb and to accept and accept it and abandon ambition to change. It's like you just stay stagnant. Another one was, um, a quote I read was that complacency is when you stop walking. You stop walking towards anything. You're just there. Um, and that's why God stirs us. That's why uh, he stirs the nest and he makes us extremely uncomfortable so that we will get moving, so we will gain, well, so we will again become desperate for him. And of course, you know, the church in Revelation 3, the Laodicean church, 3.15 through 18. I think you only have 15 up there. I'm going to read all of it, though. Uh, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I know we've heard this a million times, but really listen, okay? I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can never cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Oh, so you can cover your so you white clothes so you can cover your nakedness, your shameful nakedness. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we, I think we've all heard about the Laodicean church before, but how many of us can read it and say, ooh, oops, you know, is there any of me in that? Um, it's written about a church, but it's written, we can, I think we can identify with something in there. Um, okay. So, number two is, um, the persecuted, they count the cost. 
Is it going to be worth it to give up all they know and follow Jesus? And I'm going to read just this to you because this is what they face. When, when I say count the cost, I mean, when you count the cost of something, you're saying, okay, it's going to cost a lot. Is it really worth it to me to invest in this? Is it really worth it for me to, to spend all this on this one thing? And so when they are... When they are coming to Christ, they are asked, you know, to count the cost. They're asked, you realize that, I mean, they're told, you realize what this means, that you could die. And so um, this is a book called Killing Christians. Lovely name, but it is the truth. It's what's going on. Um, And this is written by Tom Doyle. And I suggest that you, I think, oh, I didn't have you put up the resources. If you want to know about these things, come to me. I'll tell you. Anyway, it says, to many Christians in the Middle East today, a momentary light affliction means enduring only torture instead of martyrdom. The depth of oppression that Jesus followers suffer is unimaginable to, mo- unimaginable to most Western Christians. Yet it is an everyday reality for those who choose faith over survival in Syria, Iran, Egypt, Lebanon, and other countries hostile to the gospel of Christ. So, like you said, you, you know, you could be just tortured and you'd be thankful if that was all, but then you could be martyred. I would almost feel like, just kill me. (laughs) I go be with Jesus. I don't want to be tortured. But um, that's a reality for them. Um, Luke 14, 25 through 27 says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross... And follow me cannot be my disciple. And that was Luke. For us, when we read, I think a lot of times we read that verse about, you know, hating fathers and mothers, and, and we're like, this, this isn't right, this cannot be right. But... It's really, it's like your love for God, your love for Christ is so great that in many, you know, especially over in those countries, they they have to turn their backs on their family. And it's also, so it's almost like, you know, a hate for them. It's, I don't know if you, their love for God is so great that it almost, and maybe I'm getting this wrong, it's like a hate when it comes to, you know, their families. They have to... It's like you you have to choose, and they do have to choose, and we we don't have to choose. You know, when I kind of came to Christ, I didn't have to choose between. Well, if I come to Christ, then I'm going to get kicked out of my home. So, um, says uh, it it costs Jesus everything. Jesus counted the cost. You know, he was he was in heaven. He was he's. He was equal with the Father, and he counted the cost. He looked at us, and he decided that we were worth it. 
to leave heaven, to leave this, you know, the glory of heaven, and to make himself one of us. Um, part God, part human, part man. And he went through everything that we, you know, when it says that he was tempted the same way we, we are tempted, believe it. He was, and he knows. You can go to him and because he knows. He went through it all, and he thought we were worth it. And so I think for us, sometimes we tend to forget what is required of us. Um, we get saved, we get baptized, we go to church, we hang out with our Christian friends, and what is there to sacrifice? You know, not really much. But um, what did I have next, Connie? <laughs> oh, you have it up. Okay, yes. Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. That is what's required of us. Everything. Um, Luke 9, or did I have the... I have the quote in it. Sorry, this is all new for me, like coordinating with Connie. <laughs> My quote. I found this quote in um, the Voice of the Martyrs publication a couple months back, and I cut it out and I put it on my fridge to remind me that as biblical disciples, we are called to deliberately and repeatedly leave the security and comfort we are tempted to design for ourselves in order to embrace the cost of bearing witness to Christ to the lost around us and around the world. I think when I think of missionaries, um, the pastor that was over at First Assembly here, what was Stone? No, Stone. Kevin Stone. Are they still in Egypt? Yes, they went to Egypt. Um, I have a nephew and his wife. They are now in um, Lebanon. But where are the city of Lebanon? I forget. Beirut. They're in Beirut. And gosh, I was just like, why are you going over there? You know, when, when I <laughs> first heard that, you know, he was going to Egypt. And then what, my nephew it was going to spend uh, the next four to six years over in Beirut. I could not. I mean, that is leaving the comfort and security of your home. They were called to do it. God's not calling all of us to do that. Okay. But you have to be willing, the willingness to say, God, wherever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do. And um, honestly, after reading, I, I read these books because of my nephew. And I now have a, a heart for, that, for those countries over there. I have a heart for um, Muslims that I didn't have before. I really didn't care much about them, and that's horrible to say, um, but I just didn't. And you know what? We equate um, Muslims with terrorists, and they're, it's, they're not all terrorists. There are many, 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 many who are just Muslims. They just happen to believe the lie, and um, so we can't lump them all together. Um, Luke 
Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. And then Galatians 5, 24. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Mark. Back in Mark. Um, it talks about taking up your cross. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Mark 834. Yeah. It's basically it wasn't the same as Luke 923. Okay. <laughs> I've been through so many scriptures that wow, like ah Okay. So then he called to the crowd and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And in my Bible, the commentary says, the Romans, Mark's original audience, knew what taking up the cross meant. Death on a cross was a form of execution used by Rome for dangerous criminals. A prisoner carried his own cross to the place of execution, signifying submission to Rome's power. And we know that. Jesus was crucified, and he had to carry his cross. Um... We should be willing to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel, not because our lives are useless, but because nothing, not even life itself, can compare to what we gain with Christ. Jesus wants us to choose to follow him rather than to lead a life of sin and self-satisfaction. He wants us to stop trying to control our own destiny and let him direct us. This makes good sense because he is the creator. So... Okay, and then the third thing persecuted church does, they truly believe, now get this, this is absolutely crazy, that God's word is alive. Yeah, can you believe it? And that it transforms their lives. What? Because they've experienced it. They've seen it. And I think... Well, I'm mean, no, I'm not going to jump ahead of myself. <laughs> well, I will. I'm going to. <laughs> They've seen it, and I think that's what we are missing. When people get saved, well, first of all, we need to see some people get saved. <laughs> they, we need to see lives transformed. It starts with us. If our lives transform, aren't transformed by this word, then we have nothing to say to the world. Absolutely nothing. So, okay, I'm going back. Um, once the lies, I said this before, once the lies have been exposed by the love of Jesus, they cannot wait to read the Bible to read the truth. And I'm going to read just a little bit from this girl. Um, she grew up in a Muslim home and she got radically transformed by the love of God. And I won't go into her whole testimony, but I just want to say this. You got gotten saved and then one month later, Nor her name is Nori. Nori had devoured the Bible given to her at the discipleship group she attended. One month. And we are so proud of ourselves when we get on that read the Bible in a year regimen. We are just like, we are going to read the Bible in a year. This girl devoured it. 
She's hungry. She's starving for truth. We have to get to that point where we are starving. Even if you, you already know the truth, reading it over and over again just it should be uplifting to your spirit. So, um, and also another thing is not, uh, Nori not only studied scripture, she memorized as many of the wondrous new words as she could. Each night she stayed up until the early morning hours reading and praying. She lay on her face and cried out to God for her mother, her family, and her friends. I think that we've, I don't know, I, I'm guilty, really guilty of this. I don't memorize the Bible anymore. I did it when I was a missionette, like, a long time ago, 50, 50 years ago. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and I did it because I wanted to earn a badge. Yeah, that was why. And it didn't, you know, some verses stuck. I mean, obviously the ones we, you know, forgot to love the world and all that, but it really didn't stick with me. Um, I think when you memorize it, to have it in your heart, that's the difference between memorizing it to gain something, to get a prize, to get a badge, you know. Um, and the reason why it's so important for them over there to memorize, it's important for all of us, is because they can't just walk around with a Bible. They, their Bibles, if they get one, first of all, they're scarce. If they do get one, then they have to hide it. Um, so it is important for them that they want to memorize the word. They want to have it in their heart so that they are ready. They can just, it's there. Um, and then I think that we've forgotten how to read the Bible. Well, first, wait, first of all, we don't, we don't value the Bible. Is that because they're everywhere? Like everywhere, I probably have three, four at home. They're in our shelves next to our all our other books that we read. They're uh, they're everywhere. We can get one so easily, but out there they can't. It's not that easy. Um, now, for some, it, some it is, and I want you to understand this. I need to say this too. There are churches in these countries. There are churches in Baghdad and Beirut. If you were born into a Christian family, your family was already Christian, then you can have a Bible, you can read the Bible, you can go to church, and you don't have to fear anything until you start telling others about Jesus, and then your life is on the line. Okay, so if you, so if you um, witness to somebody, you could be killed for that. If you are a Muslim who's going into a Christian church, if anyone sees you, you can be killed for that. So, um, but anyway, Bibles are very scarce, uh, just out in the regular, you know, for Muslim families. And I think you value something when it's not easily, when it's not easy to get. Um, we find, we value things that are hard to find. And here's a little example, <laughs> and it's really silly, but have you ever heard of the game, All the King's Men? It's an old game, I found out. Um, when I used to, Rod and I used to play it, and he used to get so mad when I won, because it's a very competitive game. It's almost almost like chess. It's kind of like the before chess, 
thing. You kind of, if you learn to play that, you can kind of bump yourself up to chess. And I remember one time I was playing with Rod. We were in our early 20s, and he was still kind of a heathen. And <laughs> he got so mad at me because I beat him that he threw the game out the window. I mean, yeah, like that was, you know, that was in the beginning. But anyway, okay, so I don't know what happened to the game. We know. I mean, we, I think we went and got all the pieces back. It went out the second story window. So, <laughs> but um, I was at a yard sale or a church sale uh, when I was in New York a few weeks ago uh, with my family, and we went. We were walking around Woodstock, New York, and this church had a sale, and it was, you know, basically if you find something, you just donate whatever you think it's worth. Well, there was this all the king's men game. Yeah, nice, but me not knowing that they don't still make it, thought, oh, I don't want to bring that home. I don't want to stuff it in my suitcase. I'll find it when I get home. I'll just order it on Amazon. $176. You want to know why? They don't make them. So now it's valued. And I could kick myself because I could have paid three bucks for it. You know? But that's my point is that when it's valued, your people there are people out there willing to spend $176. I am not one of them. But when it's valued, when it's hard to find, the value goes way up on it. Um, another thing that I think is we've forgotten how to read the Bible. Um, we tend to read it like it's any other book, or if, if we're just reading it because we feel like it's an obligation, or I'm going to read it, I need to read the Bible this morning so I can go on with my life, my day. Just get it out of the way. It's, you know, I'll win some brownie points with God, and we'll, life will be happy. Um, so, let's. Oh, I took the mark out of this one. Hebrews 4.12. Yes. Hebrews has left my Bible. Oh, there it is. Okay. So if you're just reading it to get it out of the way, because it's what you do every morning, you say, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two, any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Um, nothing in all, about 13 says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. That's how you read it. What did you get from that? Nothing. We need to read with intent. We need to read with the intention of letting it get into our hearts. So let's read it like this. And I hope I can do it justice. <laughs> I'm not the best reader out loud. I should have you do this, Anne. Anne, you want to do this? Yes. Anne is a really good reader. You can read it up there or you can read it here. Here. Oh, yes. Yeah, my way. You want to read? You want to read it then? Okay. Read it like you mean it. Testing, testing. 
For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing assembly of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, as is a discernment of the thoughts and intents of your heart. Now, wasn't that a whole lot better? See the difference? Is this I keep knocking at that place. The difference. Don't just read the Bible for the sake of reading it. Like we need we need and I'm guilty. And you know, everything I'm saying here is, is started with me. Um we need to we need to read it with intent. Um, it says the word of God is not simply a collection of words from a God, a vehicle for communicating ideas. It is living, life-changing, and dynamic as it works in us. With the incisiveness of a surgeon's knife, God's word reveals who we are and what we are not. It penetrates the core of our moral and spiritual life. It discerns what is within us, both good and evil. The demands of God's word require decisions. We must not only listen to the word, we must also let it shape our lives. Okay. Number four. The persecuted, they cannot wait to meet together. Now, I think you all know where I'm going with this, because we are really bad about that (laughs) in America. Um... But over there, they, the ones who have to meet in secret, they will get up at 1 a.m. or whatever, you know, horrible hour to walk or just get to the place where they're having a secret meeting. Um, and, oh, you know what I didn't tell you? Oh, I got, no, sorry. I got to go back because I need to read this to you because it is unbelievable. Um, because it's about the Bible, about how it's scarce and hard to come by. Okay, so uh, in this book, Killing Christians, talked about um, one way that they smuggle Bibles. And this, I was like, inside the coffin, Azam Mubarak stifled a wretch. The three-day-old corpse on top of him pressed breath from the stowaway's lungs. Inhaling required not only physical exertion, but mental resolve to convince the nostrils that taking in the putrefied air was necessary. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip a lot, and it just says, um, what a crazy world that he is safest, this is what he was thinking to himself, what a crazy world that he is safest traveling in a coffin under a corpse. The preferred transportation system for the underground network of Bible smugglers. It was a magnificently strange way to put Muslim drivers to work for the gospel. They don't even know they're doing it, but they're carrying God's words <laughs> to people. Um, no follower of Allah would ever dare to open a casket, um, let alone look beneath it, the remains. And says, although touching the dead was not specifically forbidden, superstition runs strong among Somali Muslims, and dead bodies were kept as far away as possible. Under dead people, Bibles could get to believers and saints in Somalia, and endangered believers and saints 
as they were all endangered, could get out to Kenya. So this is going to, you know, a different area. Um, not once had anyone been caught, but more than a few times when the coffin reached its final destination, there were two corpses. Yeah, so that was, you know, can you imagine being so desperate to get the word out, to get God's word out to people that you would lay under a dead body? And they're not, those bodies aren't embalmed and everything like ours. I mean, they're, yes, rotting bodies. And they are, they are able to get under there. And I'm assuming they've got a connection somewhere where they can get in. Um, and they have Bibles with them, and they smuggle them in that way. It's just amazing what you'll do when you have to. Okay, now we'll go on to, I just forgot to read that, and I thought that was very interesting. Okay, so they can't wait to meet together. And they will walk miles and risk their lives to do so. Um, and t- Let's see. I am going to read a little bit from here. This is called, nope, wrong book. Sorry, not called. It's called Women Who Risk by the same author as Killing Christians. So there is this Muslim woman, her name is Layla, and she's married to the most cruel man. Now, I want to tell you, women over there have no rights. Women are treated horribly. Now, I mean, I would imagine there are the exceptions. Um, but for most, if you're forced to get married and it's arranged for you, most of the time it's pretty dreadful. So anyway, she was in a horrible, horrible marriage. He beat her regularly uh, just because he could. And then he started, you know, beating their son, which she said, you know, don't beat him, beat me instead. And so he, he beat her again. Just so he wouldn't touch their son. So after one of these beatings, she went back. She went to her room. She lay in bed. Luckily, they she had a separate bedroom from her husband. So she, she said out loud, "God, where are you?" Now, when she said God, she's talking about Allah. Every night, I plead with you to rescue me. Do you ignore me because I'm a woman? Do you not hear my prayers because of that? Because that's what they're taught, that they are valueless, they are useless, they are worthless, and they have to submit to the men no matter what. So she's thinking, well, Allah must be, he sees us the same way. I'm worthless to him. And then she decided, no, I will ask another question of you. Perhaps I've been asking the wrong thing. Let me try this. She paused, strangely aware that she felt the need for courage to say the next words. God, who are you? Maybe I've been praying to the wrong God all these years. Is that why you're silent? Layla dropped her hands to the bed and glared into the black room. Help me. I'm crying out to you, Abdul, her son, and I cannot leave this horrible man or we will starve on the streets of Baghdad. Who are you? Her conversation with the empty room ended abruptly in sleep, but in the middle of the night, Layla, I am Jesus. I am here now, and I will defend you and Abdul. Your days of weeping will soon be over. That's all the man said, and then he was gone. But Layla would never forget that dream. 
I want to tell you something. He, Jesus is appearing to thousands of, of, of Muslims, of Jews, um, because why? And then, you know, our first thing is, why is he appearing to us, you know? <laughs> and, you know, because they need to see him. Okay? And, you know, we have to... We, it's blessed are those who have not seen and believed. So, yeah, you know, we have a, we're blessed, okay? We haven't seen him in person, per se. Maybe some, some people have, but um, the norm is that, you know, we don't. But we believe because we see him in so many other ways. Over there, there's no, they don't see him anywhere. So he appears to them in dreams, to those that he knows are going to receive him and, and seek him out. And she did. She ended up becoming a Christian. I'm not going to go through uh, the whole thing, but um, you know what? I skipped something back in. Okay. No, I didn't. I was just kind of getting up to this. So anyway, she got saved. She found out that her neighbor and her whole family were also Christians. And so... They became very close. This neighbor brought her to a secret church meeting that took place at 1 a.m. And so Layla would sneak out. She snuck out many, many times. And then her husband happened to catch her one time when she was coming in at whatever time, 5 a.m., I don't know. And he accused her of being a tramp, and he started beating her worse than he ever had. And she said, I, he said, who are you meeting, you know, in the middle of the night? Which, you know, you can see, why is my wife going out, in, you know, at 1 a.m. in the morning? She must be meeting with some other guy. Um, she told him, no, that's not it, that's not it. And when she mentioned that she was a follower of Jesus now, well, that made him even more mad, and he really beat her. But you know what? That didn't stop her. It didn't stop her from having um, the desire to go to church, the desire to go to these meetings with other believers compared to us. We will skip church or not go often, not because we will be beaten, but because it's raining outside. (laughs) <laughs> it's too hot. It's too cold. The music's too loud. Um, actually, I really have to confess to you. Here, this is because I'm guilty, and you may you may have noticed that I've been in and out since you know I was in for a while. Like I was here regularly, you know, after Rod passed, and then I moved to Pennsylvania, and then I came back, and I you know it's just been in and out. And it's only because I was trying to figure out what was best for Landon, and. Um, and as you see, Landon's not here today. He, he wasn't feeling well, but he does struggle with wanting to go to church. And um, since we don't have any kids his age here, and that's going to change soon, um, it's hard for him, you know, because there's no one for him to socialize with. And so I haven't been forcing him. Um, but... So anyway, yes. Yeah, so I was trying to figure out what's best for Landon. Should I find a church that has this huge kids program and all that stuff? 
we did go to a church. Uh, he ended up not even going in the kids' program, um, but it wasn't at home. It wasn't my family, and and I didn't say anything to Landon because I, in my heart, decided I was going to come back. And then one day, Landon said, "We need to go back to Wellspring." So now, just keep praying for him that he will have a desire to come back. Um, but anyway, I wasn't here on Mother's Day to hear. I didn't even know you were speaking. I know. Not that, you know, I mean, like if Chad were preaching, I mean, you know. I, <laughs> but the reason I wasn't here was because my hair looks horrible. <laughs> it was time for a color. The grays were all coming out, and I didn't have any touch-up stuff, and I was going to the, get my hair colored the next day, and then it was raining out. Remember? Mother's Day rained horribly. And so I thought, it's Mother's Day. I'm a mother. I choose to stay home. It's my gift to myself. You know, it's just stupid stuff like that. We just, you know, I just not take our meeting together seriously. And I'm going to change that. Now, next week I won't be here because I'm going to visit my dad. <laughs> All right, I'll be in Georgia. <laughs> I just want to say that. Um, the reality is that we've forgotten why it's important to meet together. So um, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as are in the habit, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I see the day approaching. <laughs> so I think more than ever. But, you know, that was way back then. And, you know, they... Meeting together is a must. We uh, we need to encourage each other. We need to be connected to one another. We need to become a force for God in a lost world, too. Okay, so coming to church isn't all about what we get and what we're, you know, what can I receive here? And then we come in, and then we go home, and then we wait till the next week. We have got to be, um, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Meeting together is important. We have got to commit to a family of believers. You have to commit. Church hopping has got to be over with. Um, we cannot continue growing our church because we're getting church hoppers. And they'll stay for a few months or maybe even a year and then they're gone. Um, that's just not healthy. It's not healthy at all. So we need to commit and we need to be here uh, for things like you have this, what is it, the leadership training, um, which I need to start going to. <laughs> See, I talk to myself too here. But um, it's important. And then the last thing, and not really the last thing because I'm sure there's more, but the persecuted church, they have a fire in their hearts to tell others about Jesus. Um, and they risk their lives to do that. Matthew 10, 16. Did I skip Romans? I did? 
Where was it? Oh. What is Roman? Oh, may the God. Oh, I, mean, I skipped a whole thing, a whole section. Sorry. I should use an iPad. <laughs> I should. I'm sorry. We're not, we're not the last thing. We're number five, which is the per- persecuted have joy regardless of circumstances. And that is a hard one for us. It really is. And for me. Um, like no matter um, we have to remember I think uh, who's, who said about happiness and joy not being equal recently I don't know somebody did but I'm going to say it again um, that we've got to stop confusing joy with happiness because happiness is just circumstantial you're happy in a moment you're happy you know I'm happy I'm happy to see my kids here. I'm happy to see all of you here, uh, but next week you won't be here. So, I mean, no, I shouldn't say that. May I won't be here next week, so I'm going to be unhappy. <laughs> anyway, um, Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you overflow with hope, what is that going to do? It's going to hopefully overflow onto other people. They're going to see the hope and the joy that you have, and they're going to want to know why you have it, because they may see you're going through something really horrible, but you're still joyful and you're still hopeful. Um, One of... There's another story in the book, and I won't read the story, but I'll just tell you this uh, girl was this Muslim girl. She had was forced to get married. Uh, she used to be her father used to let her be, you know, just kind of a worldly Muslim. She could go out to the mall. She could wear. She just wore the hijab, um, the head thing. She could wear whatever clothes she wanted. She worked in the bank. She told him that you know they were going to let her choose who she was going to marry. But then her mother got sick with cancer, and this thing they do over there is that for for young for girls who aren't yet married, there's like they put money aside in an account, and then when they get married, that money is released to the family. So really weird. But this girl, her father came to her and said, "You have to get married." She's like, "No, I'm not going to." And he said, "We need this money to cover your mother's surgery." She was forced to get married, and she hated she hated this guy. He was he was a real piece of work too. But so she's in her new life. She's wearing she's head to toe, you know, with the whole thing. Um, she's not wearing not able to wear her nice, you know, stylish clothes anymore. So she decides I'm going to bring these clothes to the Syrian refugees. Um, and there was a Christian church in town there that. Uh, was taking clothing, and they would hand them out to the Syrian re- refugees. And um, the refugees were the low of the low. They were nobody wanted to be around them. She, when she went to the church with her clothing, she's like, oh "My gosh, the stink! They haven't had shower. They have those Syrian refugees have lost everything." Um, but she was astounded because she saw a group of them laughing and having a good time. And she's like, what? 
they, these people have nothing. They're, most of them have lost their husbands in war. They're filthy, they're dirty, they have nothing to their name, and they're happy, they're joyful, they're laughing, and she's miserable. So she decided she's going to find out why they were happy, why they were joyful. And, and she did. You know, it's because of Jesus. And they told her, Jesus makes us joyful. And uh, she ended up, after a while, she gave her life to Christ, and she was as well joyful, even in a miserable home. So joy is not about circumstances. It is about God in the midst of our circumstances. Um, I do want to read something real quick. It's an article I found um, from Desiring God, and I don't know who wrote it, but um, it says, Joy is one of the vital gauges on the dashboard of the Christian life. When the needle dips, when you lose your joy, you should take note. To stay safe, you need to pay attention to your joy. How does this work? Here's an illustration. Coal miners, and I know we've heard this before, but I'm going to tell you again. Because I know Rod has given this uh, illustration. Coal miners know that dangerous gases can gather silently and secretly in the tunnels, and carbon monoxide will asphyxiate them, and methane explodes. But in the early days of coal mining, they found an effective, low-tech solution. They brought canaries into the mines. A canary's metabolism is very sensitive to air quality, and as long as the bright yellow birds chirp and sing, miners know that the air is safe. If gas levels rise, the canaries stop singing, wobble on their perch, and eventually fall to the floor of the cage. Christian joy is like that singing yellow bird. One of the first effects of sin or doctrinal error is that we lose our joy in Christ. When your heart stops singing, that is a warning to watch your life and doctrine closely. And that's true. So, so there. <laughs> so, the la- okay, now, on number six, the last um, comparison I have is that they are on fire and they, to tell, like it burns in their hearts to tell others because they've been set free. They have found truth and they, are, they just want to share it. And they have to be very, very careful. Um, Matthew ten sixteen says, Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And that verse, those verses are, um, or that verse is reality out where they are because they are among wolves. Um, we don't have to risk our lives to share Christ. Uh, so why aren't we doing it? And I mean, I'm guilty of that too. Um, you know, we, I think we tend to get lazy. We say, oh, well, you know, my Christian life will be a witness. But most of the time, our Christian life, like I said, if you don't have joy, then you don't look any different than anybody else. Um, so saying that, you know, just living for Jesus, like in just going on about your normal life is going to be a witness to people. That's just the, that's a cop out. We, and I've done that. Okay. So we have to get to where we're excited about winning people to Christ, about telling them that they can be set free, that they're, 
They don't have to be in bondage. I Here's another thing I love to do. I love to read testimonies of people who are in sins that we think, I mean, like that they're the most horrible person. People who have, you know, just led sinful, sinful lives. And then you find out they, the Lord, they've been saved. I love reading those testimonies because it shows me that anything is possible. The people that we think, oh, there's no way. I'm not even going to bother. There's just no way. Um, God, there is nobody that God can't reach if they're willing. And they, you know, when they get to the rock bottom or they are getting desperate, um, the message of Christ and his freedom is is life to them. And we have to be willing to go out on a limb. We have to be willing to risk embarrassment. I don't know. I mean, uh, well, I do have to say this. Another another problem with, you know, witnessing to people in America is that they don't see their need. And that's, that is hard. Um, my dad is like that. When I go down next week, I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to witness to him. I mean, I have over the years, but I've been mostly just like, Praying, you know, just praying for him and not speaking. But um, his biggest thing is he doesn't feel a need for Christ in his life. And so those people are hard to witness to. But so that's where prayer comes in, that the Holy Spirit will um, get the ground tilled up. And so that when you do speak truth to them, even if you don't see a uh, result right away that the seed's planted and just and keep praying for that person that the ground will be uh, watered and that it will grow and that those nasty old weeds won't choke it out. <laughs> Last week, Connie's... You, did you see Connie's... Uh, you guys aren't in here. She had a really cute... Um, what do you call those things? slide of and it was of a weed and it's choking out this other you know plant and it's just it was funny so just appreciated the humor um and a lot of times too we're like i don't know what i'm going to say i don't know what to say but second timothy 4:17 says but the lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the gentiles might hear it God will give you the Holy... That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit because that is his, that's his job. That's what he loves to do is when we ask him, please give me the words to say. Bring back to remembrance the scriptures that I've memorized. Give me uh, insight into this person's life. Um, show me how to witness to them and what they need. That the Holy Spirit wants us to ask him for those things. It's when we don't do that, you know, most of us were like, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, oh yeah, he's in us, you know. And we have got to um, realize the full potential that we have in God through Christ, through the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, so that's, I just want to quickly. Remind you of the six things that we need to do. Is that my time? Where am I up? <laughs> I don't even know how long I've been speaking. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> the six things. We need to become desperate. Number two, count the cost. 
Number three, believe God's word is alive and is your source of life. Where is that slide? That, oh yeah, commit to a body of believers. And remember that joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. And I'm going to add in the midst of that suffering. Um, and then become excited about sharing Jesus with others. And, but I'm not done. <laughs> but where did it go? Where's my note? Oh, here it is. Okay. Um. We have a mission, and you know what? We have complicated it. It's really, really simple. Get ready. And I know you've heard this, and I think this is a YWAM quote. Our mission is to know him and to make him known. Simple. But yet, not simple? I don't know. Somehow we, we, have, we have trouble with it. But making him known flows out of knowing him. So your first thing is know him. You can't know him when we can't know him when we have we are filling our lives with so many distractions. Um, when let me tell you, this is I don't think any of us realize when we decide to binge watch a show on Netflix. I counted now. Heartland. Has anybody seen Heartland? Okay. It's a really good show. Nothing wrong with it. There is nothing wrong with it. It's not filling me with anything. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a good show. I watch, and I've done, I watch season one through 13. 14's out right now. It's not all out. You just, yeah, you just gotta watch it one at a time. I know. Um, you watch season one through 13. I spent 121 hours. Yeah. You guys add up your hours, your minutes per episode. Multiply it by the 15, 16, 17, 18. I don't know. I mean, there are some out there with tons of seasons. Even if it's not like a bad thing, it's unnecessary waste of time. Or, or just limit yourself. I'm not saying you have to get rid of watching these things. I am. I like Heartland. I'm going to watch it. But do it. Have self-control. We lack self-control. We're like, oh, this is good. I'm going to sit down and we want it all. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I got to watch the next one. Oh, I gotta, oh it's 2 a.m. No, I got to watch the next one. 2 a.m. I'm up at 2. You know, if you're up at 2 a.m. watching a show... Think how much more productive, or not even productive, how much more it would be if you were up praying and seeking God at 2 a.m. See, like, we, we do this thing where, you know, we, we can stay up at, at 2 a.m. because we're entertained. It takes nothing of us. It's, it's our time. But to get up at 2 a.m. to pray, to see God, to worship him, now that, that's hard because we have to, we're giving something. We're not being entertained. But actually, it's, we're not being entertained, but if you do, you start doing that regularly, you don't have to get up at 2 a.m., but get up earlier than you need to be to go to work. Get, give God at least an hour in your, of your morning. Spend time with him. You will, after a while, you'll be like, oh my goodness, this, 
this time flew by, you, you feel joy, what? It's not enough. It's, a, it's almost like, you know, binging. Because <laughs> you just want more and more and more. Binging on Jesus, yes. It's a real thing. It is. <laughs> so, I think it's just we got to get our priorities straight about what's important in our lives and what we want. Um, so, and a lot of times when we go to seek God, we are so distracted. So even when we say, oh, I'm going to spend time with God, we are so distracted with the things in our life, like our career, entertainment, I just covered that, money, um, too much money. Now, you can, I don't know if you can have too much money, but maybe your lack of money that's consuming you. How am I going to get more money? I got to, you know, um, our image, um, possessions. The things that, you know, we want to get. I'm um, saving for something and, oh, yeah, how much more do I have to go till I can get that thing or whatever. Those things consume us. This, this world, the worldly things can consume us if we let it. Um, which one do I want to do first? <laughs> regret. I'll do regret first. The four secret sins. Because that one's an ouchie. But... Regret is a killer because it keeps you stuck in the past. I have had to learn that the hard way because I have made so many mistakes and many mistakes since Rod passed away that I wish I could go back and undo and I would, I would find myself just ruminating over that. Like, oh my gosh, if only I had done this. If only I had done that, I wouldn't be here where I'm at now. If only, if only, if only, if only. Well, we can't do anything about that. It's already done. So we cannot move forward when we're looking behind us. We have to forgive ourselves. We have to. I, I've had to forgive myself. And I'm not saying that I don't sometimes fall back into that, but I quickly recover because I realize it's a dangerous place to go into. It's a dangerous pit to fall into because it you can end up in self-pity, depression, um, all kinds of things that just keep you down. Forget the past. Move forward. We have to, as a church, all right, I'm going to say this, and, it's, and don't take it, I don't... Don't take it the wrong way. We have to forget the past. Well, my lip, did your lip ever get stuck on your tooth? Yeah. <laughs> we have to, I don't know, maybe this isn't right to say, forget the past of Wellspring. Not forget the past, but not like because it was bad, um, but... It's, if we don't move forward, we're always looking back. Well, Pastor Rod won't do it that way. Pastor Rod, oh, I don't know. You wouldn't like that color. Um, Pastor Rod loved artificial plants. Where are they? You know, um, Pastor Rod this, Pastor Rod that. He, I am not saying anything negative like against his ministry here. He's my husband's. He was a wonderful pastor. 
he truly loved the body of Christ. He did. He would not want us to sit here and not move forward because we think we're going to be losing some of him. He's He's up in heaven. He doesn't care whether we painted the walls or changed the lights or whatever. He's excited. He, I believe that he is aware. I, I do. I believe that people in heaven can be aware of things that are happening on earth. And when this church is moving forward and making progress and winning people to Christ and, and making a difference in uh, the communities here and at a new place in Evansville, he is excited. That I, I can just picture him like, yeah, go. That's why I, that's why I started this place, you know. Um, so please, 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 don't hold this church in bondage to Pastor Rod. Okay. So anyway, where was I going? Oh yeah, regret. Um, and his past. <laughs> um, move forward. Get out of the past. The other thing that really keeps us from seeking God and from being able to really seek God and to open our hearts to Him is our secret sins. Um, and that could be anything, honestly. But when you have an area of your heart that you have not surrendered completely to God, when you go to worship Him and you stand before Him, that's going to get in the way. Because He wants to shine a light in every area of your heart. And if you won't let Him, then there's only so much He can do. And then what happens is you're still hanging on to that secret sin, whether it's you know, an addiction of whatever kind. There are many kinds of addictions um, and things that we hold on to that we don't tell. It could be hate. You could hate somebody because they have done you really, really bad. And that hate could be tucked in a little corner of your heart. And you know it's there, but you don't really have to think about it as long as that person does not come to your mind. So you can just keep it over there. When you stand before God, you know what? God, he sees that hate. And the best thing for you to do is surrender that hate. He's not saying you cannot love. If someone you hate somebody that badly, you have to surrender the hate. And you have to ask God to give you the strength to forgive them. It doesn't mean that you have to let that person back in your life. That you have to be best friends again or whatever. But you have got to let go of the hate and bitterness. I've seen bitterness destroy people. And it's sad. It is so sad. Um, so, I mean, when they stand before God, it's like, well, I didn't continue serving you because, you know, that person really was a jerk to me. Or, you know, I lost my faith because of so-and-so. That just doesn't wash. Um so when you are going to worship God and you're going to seek Him, you've got to be willing to open up your heart. I know one thing that Pastor Chad and the leadership team has planned for this church is ways for people to be set free from addictions, from the things that they're in bondage to. And 
you know, some you can come to the altar and you can pray and you can lay it down, and sometimes God miraculously takes it away. But that's very rare. It's, it's usually it's a process. And um, Pastor Chad, I mean, we we want to see people set free from the things that have been holding them in bondage. So get ready for that. So if you got something you're like, oh, I don't know, I've, I'm, I don't know how to get free from this, it's coming. You're going to get set free. But you've got to start. So don't wait for that. Don't wait for the program uh, or the study. You need to start by going to God yourself and seeking Him and saying, this is what I'm struggling with. Here it is. And I don't want it anymore. And set your face toward freedom. You probably heard Rod say that, but you know what? That was my quote. He took credit for it. <laughs> that was mine. Because I said it to him one time, and I, I heard him use it several times, and I never got credit for it. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, set your face towards freedom. So, like, set your face towards freedom doesn't mean that you're just all of a sudden going to be free. It means you're walking in that direction. You may fall. You get back up, and you confess it to God and you ask for forgiveness because that's what Jesus came to us for. Okay? He is our advocate to the Father. When we sin, His blood covers that sin, but we have to recognize our sin to Him. We have to be willing to just every time we sin. And you know what? One thing I know whenever I've struggled with something, I say to myself, do I want this thing more than I want God? And you know, you know, if you're really your heart is after God, you're going to say, "No, I don't want this thing more, more than God." And you just have to keep focused on that. And God wants freedom for you. And then, as you're walking on your own, you're seeking God at home. You're in your the Word because you know the Word is life, and it will set you free and transform you. Then, you know, when we do come together and there are issues still, you know, maybe God will set you free without even having a class or a group to go to, and you can then share with someone else on how to get set free. Um, but anyway, I'm battling. I don't even know how long I've been talking. <laughs> but um, anyway, once you can get rid of these distractions, it's you and God with an open heart. And that's when he can truly do something in you and through you. And worship team. <laughs> no, you don't have to clap. You don't have to clap. <laughs> Right. A little bit. I'm loud. All right. Um, I can remember um, there have been all kinds of different shows about makeovers. You know, some of them are real estate. You know, they put the big bus, I think, if I remember right, in front of the house, and you've seen how the house was, and they said, roll it away. And then everybody wants to eagerly see what the new house looks like. Or, you know, they, I think years ago, they used to pull them out on the platform and they'd say, 
go backstage. They're going to get a total makeover. They're going to get their hair done. They're going to get their makeup. They're going to change the way they dress. And um, and um, how many know sometimes we as a church need a makeover? You know, we need to reevaluate everything that we do as a church. And uh, how many know that uh, we're actually going to go through that makeover? We're going to we're going to roll the bus away, and you say, "Is it going to be a building, or is it going to be what?" It's going to be us. It's uh, we're going to rethink everything that we do as a church. Um, you know that I don't remember the last time. It's been a long time since I preached to a room full of sinners, people that aren't believers. Let me re- rephrase that. We're sinners that are saved by grace, right? That's what I see most weeks. Sinners saved by grace. But you know what I'd love to see? A church full of people that have never heard the gospel. I'd love to see the community that we live in right here. We're ready, church. We're ready. And I appreciate that word. Don't stay in the bath. In fact, where are we sitting now? Let's stand to our feet. And um, and I'm just going to tell you as a church, as a family, and I appreciate the message because it's right where we're at at the church. And we went this past weekend for training to plant a church. And you would not believe how dumb we are as leaders at that church planting. You're going to realize how dumb all of us are, really. And they'll back me up on this. We stand at the wall and they say, okay, here's a giant piece of note paper. And they'll back me up on this. Somebody's coming to church for the first time. And believe it or not, there are some people. I had lunch with a couple, 21 and 19. Uh, they're dating. She's pregnant. He's been raised in foster care his whole life. Never had a dad. She had no family. She's pregnant. They're struggling. And she said she had never been to church in her life. So they stood to the wall. They said, okay, this person's coming to church for the first time in their life. What do you do at the church? So oh, we've already figured all that out, Chad. You know what they do in most churches? They are on their own. Somebody may open the door and smile at them, but they're kind of on their own. I've been in churches like that where you walk in and you got to find your way around and you got to meet, you know, figure out when it's going to start, find your own seat, you know. Nobody ever really cares enough about you to spend time with you. And so we stood at the walls and guess what we did? Uh, uh, uh. Then they sit down, they talk to you for a little while longer and they say, okay. This person just raised their hand and wants to have life change. Some way. Maybe they want to give their heart to the Lord. Maybe they want to recommit. Maybe they are struggling with the burden of sin. Maybe they're struggling with addiction. Okay. Giant piece of paper blank. Here's a marker. Tell us what you're doing to get them 
to their next steps. And don't laugh at me because you're about to go to those same pieces of paper and we as a church have to answer these questions. And this is what we're going to do. This is our makeover. You know, then they let you sit down for a while and can I tell you something? I legitimately got angry. Frustrated. Disappointed. All these emotions because I've never been to a church that's done anything. I'm just being honest with you. I couldn't even refer back to any place that I'd ever been that had addressed those questions. And then they say, okay, get up again. Stretch your leg. Let's go to the wall. Giant blank piece of paper. They're ready to be discipled. What are your steps? Uh, uh, and how do they see those steps? Do they see those steps right in front of them? Church, we haven't answered those questions. Alright? We haven't answered those questions. Over the next six to eight weeks, we're going to answer those questions. And a mother, single mother, stood up first. And she said, I, my child doesn't have a dad. So I'm struggling with life. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with just making it every day. And I need my church to help me. Then a grandmother stood up and said, I'm lonely. I don't have anybody anymore. No, I don't have anybody to help me. I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that and I'm, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with that. And she said, I need my church to help me with that. And then a, a family stood up and then a mother who was overworked and a mother who who uh, was stressed with life and had lots of children. I mean, I've had that. You walk in and you got all the children behind you and said, I'm struggling and, and I need rest and I need help. And, and, and one after another, everybody stood up and, and, and began to say, this is what I need my church to be. And he said, church, this is your vision. And church, when we get to the point where we're the kind of church where any unbeliever can walk in this house and we are excited for them to see our church, like we know that they feel like they're at home at our church, they're welcome at our church, we're not embarrassed with our church, we're willing to go out and say, you're going to love our church. When we get to the point where we've addressed all of those needs, all of those steps that we need to take people in the direction and already have thought that out and already ready, when we get to that point, church, we're ready to have church. How, how, how many want to be that? How many want to be able to invite somebody to church and say, you're going to love this. I can't wait for you to get to church and see what our church is like. But you know what we've done? We made the church comfortable for us. And church, I don't want that. 
I, I was talking to one of the neighbors across the street the other day, and I was driving up and down the streets, and we have a crisis pregnancy center, right, around our church. And uh, I thought, man, I want to go in there and meet that director of that church because I want to see what they're doing there. I want to plug into what they're doing, helping young girls who are in crisis pregnancy. How many would love to do that? And I walk across the street, and the neighbor says, I work at the crisis pregnancy center, and uh, we'd love to have a church where our girls can go. And church, I want our church here and there to be the kind of place where when they walk in, they say, I'm home. And so church, we're going to we're gonna get a makeover. Isn't that awesome? How many love makeovers? We're going to get a makeover. And all I ask you to do is just help me answer these questions. We're going to sit down. We're going to open up to everybody who wants to be a part of it. And we're just going to answer these questions. What do we need to be as a church? To reach the lost, to seek and to save the lost, to know Him, I like that, to know Him and to make Him known. We're pretty good at the knowing Him, right? Some churches aren't that good at that, but we're really good at the knowing Him, but how are we going to make Him known? Hallelujah. I just want you to begin to commit yourself. Find a place, and, and, and we're going to say, well, what do I need to do? We're going to provide the meetings. You just get in there with me. As, and you're going to see them coming. We raised up leaders that are ready to go. And uh, and I just want you to commit yourself to say, you know what? I'm committed to this process. I'm committed to this church. I'm willing to give everything I have to see uh, this church move and win the loss. to be the kind of church that I can, and this is not a evil kind of way, a church that we can be proud of. We can say, you know what? We know what we we exist to do and what we're trying to build. And that's what we want to be. We want that kind of a church. And so as we begin to worship, I know it's been a long service. Just find a place and say, you know what? God, I'm committed to this. And begin to pray for your leaders because we're going to get a makeover in six to eight weeks and you're not going to believe what we look like when we're done. Hallelujah. Everybody believe that? This message was timely. You know, I needed her voice to stand up here. And you know what she needed to say? Pastor Rod wouldn't want you in the past. He wouldn't want you in the past. He wants us out on those streets winning the lost. He wants us out on the street making uh, Jesus Christ known to a world that needs to hear it, needs to feel it, needs to see it, church. And I'm so ready to be out on the streets winning the lost. You know, I'm tired of a country club church. And I'm not saying that that's us. I'm just saying I'm tired of catering to us. I'm ready to get a little uncomfortable. You know, Fred Gruy, I think, had the statement uh, to uh, disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed, right? Hallelujah. I'm ready for that, church. But let's just lay it all down to the Lord. If you need prayer, that's why we're here. If you need to recommit your life, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord, we're up here to pray for you. Maybe you're going through something, something's coming up, we want to pray with you. But let's, let's begin to commit ourselves to this church. Hallelujah. Father, we come before you, Lord, and I pray your anointing upon our family, Lord.
Lord, help us through these next several months, Lord. Lord, you've led us, you've guided us, Lord. You've, uh, we've just been following you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, do the things you need to do to make us what you want us to be, Lord God. Mighty things, Lord God, with this body of believers. Bless them as they go, Lord, in your name I pray.